0: Welcome everybody to a Baseball America podcast, along with JJ Cooper. I'm John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download or for downloading us on iTunes or BaseballAmerica.com. Excited for uh, this time of year, of spring training, major league baseball games on uh, on MLB Network. Very exciting to watch, uh, or on uh, your uh, of course local local cable providers with like yes, Network, or or all app. these kind of things. Uh, I was going to say I've been hit, TV is uh, I, on I've a lot been of our phones. Me Absolutely. So it's just a really fun time of year. When that just starts to get going. And, uh, you know, some of us here in the office, some years we go to spring training, some years we don't. Um, this year I don't think either of us is going to spring training, but uh, so much to consume from afar. Um, and then, of course, with us, with the draft and with college baseball, there's so much college baseball to Go to. It's not quite the same newness as it is for people who just check in, who are only getting their first baseball fix with spring training, JJ, but there's obviously something different when they actually start playing spring training games.
1: Oh, yeah. It's, well, for one, it's always fascinating. There's always going to be one or two injuries that you didn't know about. Right. And well, in a lot of cases, that the players didn't know about. Right. We've had a couple this year. Uh, Alfredo Saverio was hurt in a car wreck that at least I don't think that anyone had publicly known about, but he's going to miss time. Into the season, uh, Matt West, who was really kind of our our pick to uh, to, to he really break
0: out. He was a, f- a fanciful
1: breakout selection, and he's not going to break out this year. It doesn't look like he's. Instead, he's uh, been shut down, and they hope to not. They hope to avoid Tommy John surgery, but if not, this Rangers you know relief pitcher, Rangers right hander, who had a chance to move really quick, he's going to move a lot slower now. It looks like.
0: Yeah, and for a converted guy where there was a possibility of him uh, going basically from short season ball last year to the major leagues At not the, the start of the year, year, but major leagues sometime during 2012, uh, clearly the Rangers thought pretty highly of him. And uh, so that's a, that's that's one less arrow in the Rangers' quiver. We did have, we kind, have of the first, of kind of the first uh, sensation, I guess, of spring training, really, J.J., was you was Darvish's first start. Might be worth uh, – Touching on him because we are talking in this podcast and in our most recent issue, our major league preview about top twenty rookies. Our major league preview is really focused on rookies because it dovetails nicely with what we do. Yu uh, Darvish uh, came in second. We picked Matt Moore first, but Yu Darvish certainly didn't. He didn't do anything in his first two inning outing facing live batters to tamp down expectations both in Dallas, Fort Worth, and in the rest of the country.
1: Absolutely not. I, I, I'll put it this way. If you're a Rangers fan, you know you've made the World Series back-to-back years. It's it's sure hard not to dream on, okay, well, now if you add him to the front of the rotation, how, how much of a difference is that going to make? And it's two innings.
0: Right. It's right. two innings.
1: But those two innings aren't anything out of – that, it's not like something where you say, Well that's so far beyond what you can expect out of you Darvish that don't get excited. No. He was he was what you can expect. He may not he's not gonna be that great as he was for those two innings every outing, but,
0: right. I'm but looking he's forward
1: got to, he's got ace stuff.
0: I'm looking forward to the hair, you know, the hair you know, I don't mean to I am gonna do it anyway, but I mean like uh, John Travolta when I talk about hair I think of you know, you, you, I worked hard on my hair and, and he touched it, you know. Uh he looks like he works pretty hard on his hair, you Darvish. Well, you, Darvish Put some thought into his I'll hair. I'll say
1: this, the one thing that, that
0: he, I think he has, I think he has Jeremy Lynn. Jeremy Lynn's a different story, but baseball's looking for like its version of someone to market and for people to go kind of crazy over. He has that potential.
1: The thing I'll say for Darvish, a lot of these a lot of times when you have a player coming over, it's not that they haven't been stars in their, you know, wherever they've come Ichiro was a star before he hit the U.S. Correct. You know, Ioannis Suspettis was a star in Cuba before he he came to the U.S. But Yu Darvish has been
0: kind of a pop
1: star in Japan.
0: Since he was... 18. I mean, Dice K was similar. Right. Dice K was a national hero in high school. Right. It would have been like, kind of, the analogy is kind of like a Kimball Walker almost. I mean, their high school, their national high school tournament is their March Madness in Japan. And he starred and carried his team to championships in that arena. I guess it was one championship.
1: But but so with Darvish, one thing you don't really have, to me, much of a concern at all about is, how is he going to handle being in the spotlight? That part right. Is is... That's, that's no different for him. Oh, look, there's a you know, thousand media following his every move. Well, that was true in Japan before.
0: I do wonder, I'd like to ask, and I'll have to ask some of the Japanese media that we do know, like how different is it for players in the U.S. where they are in the fishbowl, though, a little bit? I mean, they're followed certainly all the way in Japan. But here, if you're you Darvish and you're seeing all the Japanese media in Surprise, Arizona, you know they're there for you. They're not there for is, is there, Do the Royals still have a... They had a Yabuda guy a couple of years yeah. ago. He's he's not there anymore. There are no, there are no more Japanese pitchers with, in Royals camp, are they? No. I mean, uh, so they're there for you, Darvish. I do think it's still a little different, and there's obviously the cultural assimilation part to it, but as we've written about, you, Darvish has some advantages there. Both his parents uh, attended college in the United States. They actually met at Eckerd College in Florida. So you, Darvish is a little bit more worldly plus he's uh, his, his father is Iranian uh, uh, Persian I actually should say right. he's from Iran but is of Persian ethnicity so he's got um he's he's not the same as Daisuke Matsuzaka he's not the same as a pitcher he's not the same culturally or personality wise and he's not going to Boston so i do think that the biggest thing that's going to help him be more successful than Daisuke Matsuzaka is the fact that Nolan Ryan, and you wrote about this, Nolan Ryan has established that the Rangers are a flexible organization when it comes to developing pitchers. If pitchers can show the Rangers that what they do There's a lot of works for them. Correct. They didn't sign. This is not going to be one of these deals where they sign you, Darvish, and they tell him to do something different than what made him successful now, in Japan. They might adjust Maybe an approach in terms of like throwing but, pitches no, to hitters, but, but they're not—they aren't taking away pitches yet, JJ. But they're not changing his training. But there's one
1: thing we have to address that is changed, and it's not because the Rangers changed it. The thing we have to see that he has to adjust to is—is is it's a different schedule. Definitely. And so, you can't do the same. You can't say, well, I'm going to take the program that worked for me in Japan. And just bring it over. Right. Because if you do, you can't do the you're same not going to schedule. be ready to start.
0: That's right. No, you're absolutely right. That's a great point. I that held you're true right. for Dice K. And I, I you know, there was all that talk, I remember in his first spring training, where it's like, man, Dice K, you're really throwing a lot too much. And there were all these meetings with him and John Farrell, him and John Farrell and Francona, Ep- Theo Epstein, you know. I don't th- I don't think you're gonna see those if you see those meetings the, with the Rangers. A, they'll probably be less public because of the Rangers. They're not the Red Sox. It just is what it is. The Red Sox have just so much. They've been dealing with that kind of attention since 1960 something. You know, probably since 67. And then the Red, uh, the the Rangers, I mean they're they handle this a little bit differently. Uh, with all, they don't have as much attention, and there is just an attitude with their organization of again, like you said, trusting their pitchers and uh, wanting to let their pitchers succeed rather than making sure their pitchers succeed their way. I guess that's the way I would put right, it. And so, uh, I think that's changing around the well, game, but I think the Rangers are at the vanguard of that, and I think Darvish will be a really intriguing test of that. Which,
1: what we're saying is is we expect Darvish to be excellent this year. Yeah, no doubt. And what that means also is, is we really expect Matt Moore, who I know has been slowed a little bit in spring training, with an injury that, that really should not bother him long-term at all. But... But we do, the top of this list, Matt Moore, you Darvish, I think are the two guys who we expect this year really to be impact rookies.
0: Yeah, I think that uh, for for me, it was a really close call between Moore and Darvish. And I, I think the fact that uh, they're both on really good teams helped them be toward the top of this list. And in fact, might have been the, the biggest, uh, the difference maker for me between those guys and Jesus Montero. I think I think a little higher of Montero than you do. I think Montero's going to be a monster. I think he's going to be outstanding this year. I think he's ready to contribute as a rookie. It wouldn't shock me if he hit 20 home runs and drove in close to 100 runs and uh, uh, hit close to 300 even this year as a rookie. I'll I'll give you everything except I don't think he's going to be. I know you won't give me 300. I won't
1: give you 300 this year. Uh, Not not down the road, but this year. I do think, though, how they're handling him is a really smart way of doing it. And that's one of the reasons why. You're not giving up on catching. You're not saying you're not a catcher. But what you are saying is, is, your job is to hit. Your job is to hit. We'll keep you behind the plate enough so it's not like something where we're giving up on it. But the other smart thing with that is, is and we're not going to give you a position that you have to learn on the on the fly either. Right. You're going to be a catcher slash DH. Emphasis on DH. Right. Your job is our offense has been terrible. Disastrous. I, and I think that he so is. So you fix that, please. I
0: think he's very well suited to do that. And. I'm not judging that based off what he did in September. The guy's just track record is that he's hit. He's hit at every level. Uh and I'm not gonna say it like Shaq, uh won at every level except for college and high school, you know. But he Montero hit at every level. And I also feel like again, I'm not I know I sound like Matt Eddie on this, but two years of AAA, A, he's very prepared. He's as prepared as he as he could be to hit in the big league. So to me, if he had been in New York with the short ports in right field, that team, where it's to a left-handed lineup outside of A. Rod and Jeter, and they really could have used right-handed power, he would have been number one on my list if he were still a Yankee. Uh, I do feel that uh, the move across—first of all, you're going across country. you being traded. I think is not easy for 21, 22 year olds. Yeah, I think he'd been dreaming for five, six years that he's going to be a Yankee. Uh, and, and that lineup affords a lot more opportunities to be good, where he's not going to be the best. He goes into Seattle, he's instantly the, probably the second best hitter on their team after Dustin Ackley. Right. We'll see what Ichiro does this year. They're talking but, about uh, dropping you're... him to the three hole, but I think Montero's going to hit the ground really. I'd say running, but he's slow. So I think he's going to hit the ground and be good from day one, just like Matt, Mo- Matt Moore and just like you, Darvish.
1: And, and then after that, the, the toughest guy, I'd say, probably on this list, we had Mike Trout number four. Yeah, that's that is where it really becomes difficult because we're trying to do a top twenty rookies. And I think there is we even have we've talked about this in the office. We have a little bit of different philosophies as far as what we're trying to say with the top twenty rookies. That if we're ranking them, Mike Trout is gonna, you know, gonna be higher than four.
0: Right. If but, we're just ranking him on prospectiness, certainly he wouldn't be But the reality of it forward. is is
1: that you look at the Angels and you can map out a Pretty easy scenario where Mike Trout ends up getting 300 at bats this year.
0: I think you could map out a scenario where Mike Trout gets doesn't really come up till September. I mean, even if he's just destroying Salt Lake, because it's Which I'm we not saying that he will. Just... I expect him to do that. It, it's plausible he could repeat his minor league player of the year. It is plausible, even there though he's number, he's number four on our list. Red Jeffries and Andrew Jones only. Two I hate those are the only two. We don't have. I don't have any faith in Vernon Wells. And we don't have faith in Vernon Wells, and that's why um, Mike Trout's fourth on this list. But if Vernon Wells is closer to 2010 Vernon Wells than 2011 Vernon Wells, how are they going to bring him up? If Peter Borges has at least the kind of year he had last year or progresses, there is no room at the end for Mike Trout on that big league roster. We're There's expecting his talent to force him through and, and, the other thing that and just, Wells to
1: stink. But the other thing that just has to happen, the other way it could happen, which I think is, is almost as plausible, is all he needs, because he can play any one of those three spots, Right. all he needs is one of those guys to go on the 15-day DL wouldn't, to where...
0: Wouldn't Bob Abreu get a possibility to play out there? I know he's just as old and... I mean, he's older than Vernon Wells, but wouldn't Bob Abreu get the... They don't have a consistent place to put Bob Abreu in their lineup. They're right. paying and him he, and he's a decent amount of money. And he's expecting... And they have... And they also, Mark in the Trumba. corners, are going to try Mark Trumbo out there. I just think the line of players there is so deep, but for me, that team is expecting to compete, obviously. And if Vernon Wells is not getting the job done, to me, they'll suck up the money. And if they if they don't get off to a good start, they're gonna they're gonna go to Mike Trout as that igniter. Right. That's why I think that's why i voted him so high on my top 20 but i think it's extremely plausible jj that he does not even in our final 20 at the end of the year and that, i mean he's still not going to be prospect eligible but it's very plausible that he only plays a handful of games before september cuz that team you know, baba bream might have a dead cat bounce so vernon wells might too to use, these are this is your phrase i have personal cheese ball you have dead cat bounce cuz i'd never heard that before you did you make that up
1: no no it's a stock uh, in trader. georgia no it's a, a stock, stock trader. trader, okay. Like, oh, you know, that stock, tells you stock how has little... a dead cat bounce. Like, so basically, it's oh, it's looked it went down to seventy-five cents, went up to dollar twenty. Okay, it's dead. That now. was a that dead just cat means, bounce. Yeah, the dead cat bounce because even if you, you know, even a dead cat think, will bounce.
0: I haven't come over that phrase in the Michael Lewis books that I've read. Um, but maybe I'm not reading the right but, ones. But uh,
1: the thing that jumped out after that is, is number five is U.N. Suspectis. Three A's on this list. We could have potentially gone even deeper than that in A's because the thing that the A's have is, is there's opportunity. They have, this a, is,
0: they have a virtual Statue of Liberty standing in the, come. <laughs> in the bay. Give me your tired, your poor, your, your Cuban, your rookies. Come on. We've got opportunity here.
1: Jared Parker, we got, you got an opportunity. Brad Peacock, you've got an opportunity. Suspettis, you've
0: got an opportunity. Michael Taylor, you've got an opportunity. Tom Malone, you have an opportunity.
1: I, there's there's going to be plenty of opportunities there. I just went Oprah on you. I can't you believe did. I just went
0: Oprah. <laughs> What's up with that?
1: But, And uh, of that group, uh, it's funny. Like, Suspettis has yet to play in a, uh, as we record this, yet to play in an official spring training game. He did have a monstrous B game. Well, I everyone mean, were B game, Simulated game, I believe right. it was. Which... I love that about spring training. He likes everything
0: thing. simulated. I love simulated workouts, simulated game. He's he's very good at those. But things.
1: I I do love though that the uh you know and hey, it was good reporting. You you should. If if a guy hits a pair If a guy who's yet to play in a game, so everyone's interested in him, hits a pair of home runs in a workout, you, you mention it. Correct. But it, it it is funny right now just how, you know, it's it's what's great about spring training, is how the mi- the minutest things that in regular season kind of eh whatever right now are important.
0: That's a it's a melange of outfielders in uh, in, in Oakland. Seth Smith,
1: Coco Crisp, Josh Reddick, Colin Cowgill. Yeah, I mean. I'll put it this way: if you expect the A's to be better than awful this year, because I think there's a lot of expectation that, especially in that division, they're they're going to be pretty bad. Cespedes is going to have to be a big part of it because he's the – there's not a whole lot of cornerstone guys in that lineup.
0: When of course, the other one that everyone wants to see, and I think it's funny that he's not on their 40-man roster as of right now as we record this, Manny Ramirez. Um, That's going to be a whole –
1: I'll put it this way. He's not a cornerstone guy now.
0: I know. I'm just saying that's a whole other dimension to me of the Cespedes story. Um, It's an odd choice of mentor. You know, Jermaine Dye, you couldn't go get Jermaine Dye? If you want a right-handed power old guy who used to play for the White Sox, you know, how about Jermaine Dye? I'm just surprised that that was the choice that the A's made. Um, I guess, you know, they are the A's. They're smarter than everybody else. So um, I don't really think they think that anymore, but uh, I I think there are still – it was a curious choice. To me, when you have so many rookies around, my first choice – a veteran off the scrap he'd take a chance on would not be the guy who who's known for being corrosive in the clubhouse on winning teams with in a, in a good situation with really good clubhouse guys where he'd won and made hundreds of millions of dollars. And that was what Manny Ramirez was in Boston. So I don't think he's humbled necessarily by his suspensions. So if he makes that team as on that roster – he just is not – he wouldn't be my first choice. No, I'm, su- I, I, I'm surprised I, they've put him the, – the A's of all teams well, signed him with all those rookies around. And especially because at this point, to me,
1: the the problem with it is is that there's not a whole lot of upside to it. The, the likelihood that Manny Ramirez is going to be the Manny that we remember right. is very, very small at this point. He, he's old enough now that the reality is, is that even if you – do take wonderful care of yourself and all. It, it's really hard to produce. And I'm
0: saying, I mean, you, you need a right-handed hitter in your outfield. Why wouldn't you give those, oppor- those at-bats to a younger guy like a Michael Taylor or a Colin Calgill and see what you have? Or if you have well, a DH know, also, you want to play. I'm, right, he's not going to play the outfield. I'm just, but I'm just yeah. saying, when you give those at-bats to you, have Jermaine Mitchell. He's 27 years old, and he's been in your organization since I did their top 10. That's how long it's been. He was in the, fir- the top 10 in the year that I did the A's. That's like six years ago. So, why wouldn't you give that guy some at bats? Why wouldn't you give that guy some run? You know, you have Chris Carter and Keila Kahui and Brandon Allen. <laughs> and give those guys some run and see what you have at the DH spot as opposed to Manny. That one, that's. It's a small signing. It's just a vexing signing. Right, and we
1: don't even know right now he's going to make the roster. so right. this, this could be a, a tempest in right. a spring It could. Teapot. It
0: could be. I just wouldn't want. I wouldn't want him around my camp. So we'll see how that plays out. I have a feeling that would be so, really interesting to make to to see how he affects your Cespedes. Know,
1: so who on this, getting past the top five, who on this list stands out to you? By the way, if you were listening to this and you haven't seen the list, just go to BaseballAmerica.com. We yep. have it up on the. Uh, on the major season preview drop down, we have all of our season preview co- coverage. But, but who jumps out to you as, as someone who you wouldn't be surprised if, when we're all said and done, if we're voting them rookie of the year?
0: Uh, Yonder Alonso, uh, and and he's at eleven, and Bryce Harper at ten. Um, Harper's the obvious answer because I believe in Bryce Harper as far as I, I don't I don't I don't think he's going to go out there and hit two twenty or two thirty. I think he's better than Justin Upton. I mean, that was what we talked about in our office. Hey, you had teenagers a- A-Rod and Justin Upton are the have struggled. Those two are two guys good that examples. Out. I've been talking about Bryce Harper as the A-Rod, the next A-Rod, for several months about how like he's going to be the guy that people love to hate. Did you see that he quoted? He was quoted the other day saying that himself. He intends to be A-Rod. I mean, I think Bryce Harper is going to be. Is I, I think, think he's going to be good from day
1: one. I do think that he has a little bit more self awareness about who Arod right. A Rod was Arod without trying A Rod wanted to be liked correct. And just was incapable of
0: And I will make the analogy uh, A <laughs> Rod to me was a lot like kind of a Chris Weber and that Chris Weber didn't know how to be street. He wanted to be Jalen Rose. But I don't think, not, I think I think Arod wanted to be a tough guy and he just not but he wanted to be a tough boy. guy but at the same
1: time I think he wanted to be I think A-Rod wanted to be the face of baseball, yeah, he the wanted Cal to be Ripken. Loved. I think he wanted right. to, not to be That's a good bad way. Guy. I no, think he I wanted think to be right. the Cal the next Cal Ripken, the guy who everyone in baseball says, that is the ambassador of baseball.
0: You mean like Derek Jeter?
1: Right. That's what he wanted to be. Right. And it just wasn't to be, but it's he, not who he he is. was trying Bryce Harper's not saying I want to be the Cal Ripken. I don't think Bryce yeah. Harper's saying I know that there's going to be people who don't like me. Bring it on! I want to be the best player in baseball. And
0: the difference is that, a, is he's kind of unlike LeBron James. I know we're going a lot of sports analogies here. He doesn't. He won't mind being the villain. A, B. It's his style of play that will be very different from Alex Rodriguez's because it's kind of – because he talked about he Bryce wants Harper, to be Pete Rose. He played like Bri- Pete Rose. Bryce Harper, the, the funny thing – and that is the he funny just, part of it. He just hits is, like George Foster 1977. Right, but
1: the funny thing about that is, is that is that – and there is, I, I think, some truth to that. Pete Rose, if you said how Pete Rose played and you compare it to how Bryce Harper – the the perceptions out there that are negative about Bryce Harper – there's a lot of similarities. Absolutely. Yeah, like absolutely. Pete Rose, the funny thing is, is, and this is what I've said about Bryce Harper, and I don't need to – if you listen to the podcast regularly, you've heard me say it on here before. Bryce Harper, all of the main problems with Bryce Harper that people have are things that if you are on the other team, you hate him. They're not things that if you're on his team, you necessarily hate him. Pete Rose – it's not a false hustle. It's Pete not Rose – the same, you could say the same thing. If Pete Rose was on the other team, you hated
0: him. That's the difference with him Him and A-Rod. It's not a false hustle. It's if not he was, slapping the ball out and exactly. saying you
1: didn't slap it out. It's trying to run the guy over at first to get the, to be safe.
0: That's exactly what I was about to say. If, 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 when A-Rod's trying to knock the ball out of Bronson Arroyo's hands, he kind of slaps at it like he's trying to slap the purse out of his hands. If Bryce Harper had been running to first base, Bronson Arroyo would have been four been, rows It would have been Ray Fossey. He'd have been five rows up in the it, stands. It, it would have been Pete Rose rounding third in the right. All-Star game. That's right. And, it's, and, and that is the analogy. He would never – Bryce Harper, I don't think, would yell at somebody. And if Dallas Braden yelled at Bryce Harper, it would be on. That would be a bobblehead, uh, but a now whole here's different bobblehead. the bobble thing, than the just thing the, we have to see. Braden
1: pulling up his shirt. The thing we have to see is, again, the reports I'm getting that we're seeing out of spring training – you know, not I'm getting, we're seeing. Yeah. Uh, it's not like That's personal okay. reports. But the reports we're seeing – He's being, you know, teased by the, the veterans and all and he takes it. He's good natured about it. He doesn't mind that. He knows he has to be put in his place. He understands for one that's another thing that Arod always had to try. he understands kind of how the dynamics of the clubhouse work. Right. Again, we'll have to see. Does that continue? He's going to be, whenever he arrives this year, and it's gonna be this year barring injury. Yeah. Whenever he arrives, at the least He's going to be the second biggest star on that team, and reality is, is he plays every day. Right. So he'll be a bigger star than Strasburg yeah, almost immediately. He will be. That being the case, how do his teammates deal with it? Then, a lot of that comes down to if he hits. You, I I personally think I, I wrote it in the write up for him, the the, num, the teenage record for big league homers in a season. Yeah, 24. 24. I don't think he's going to make – I think he could make a run at that. I don't think – the thing that's going to probably keep him from that is his Super 2 status. Correct.
0: I don't think there's any – I think if, it were, if he were in 1978, uh, before all this the reality stuff, is I think is, that he would make a run at that. The
1: reality is, is that unless they make a move, which is shocking that they would considering he's not far away, it's really hard to argue that right now – and I know he didn't have a great second half in A, but if you look at what they have right now – and you said, okay, so do you want Rick Ankiel in center and Jason Worth in right? Right. Or Roger Bernardina you know, in center and Jason Worth in right? Or do you want Worth in center and Harper in right?
0: I, well, I don't know if you, know if you want Worth in center, but I'll you know, figure something but, out.
1: But that's, gonna, that's what you're going to do. It is amazing.
0: I still think if that's what it comes down to. Davey Johnson might do that for a week or so and then say, you know, Bryce, you're ten times faster than Jason Werth no, is right now and that he's going to play some center field. It, it may switch over. I think he is in a but place they're, I center think that center
1: field. But I think he will play some. But I think they're going to start him out playing right. right. I no, no, that's, just,
0: gonna... that's certainly their intention. And that's, he has not played center field as a professional. He's played right and left.
1: But no, and I do think a little bit less. I think we both believe in the hit tool. We're both among the yep. believer in, in, in the Bryce Harper hit tool. I do think, though, the number of – and I know he's a very special case. But the number of 19 year olds right. who I think he's going to be extremely productive for a 19 year old. The, the I thought a good analogy that I think Matt Eddy brought up when we were doing our rookies meeting was could he have a Mike Stanton rookie year? That was and a great to me, analogy. To me, that's the upside. That's the upper end of what you're hoping for is, is that when Mike Stanton came up, Mike Stanton was the best power hitter in the Marlins lineup from the day he showed up, which isn't surprising considering he has 80 power. Right. But that yeah, first hit, year, he 259, he 259, 326, 507. If Bryce Harper does that as a 19-year-old, they are just m- counting on, okay, well, we're seeing the uh, the, the first season of a, of a potential Hall of Famer.
0: And that's my point is that I don't think that there's any reason why Bryce Harper can't hit around 250, 260. And that's, that is very in line with my expectations. Of what he can do, he won't strike out 123 times in 360 at bats. He would strike out less. I well, think I he. Say, makes if, it,
1: but I'll say this: even if he did strike out 123, the thing that jumps out also is, is if he just replicated that. To do that as a 19-year-old, it, it's almost hard to it's almost hard to say at that point. That's pretty much. He's lived up right there. It's like, okay, he's living up to every expectation you could have for him. Because if he strikes out 123 times as a rookie 19-year-old with that kind of power. That might be his career high. That may be his career high, and you're going to see it just get better and better.
0: It's the Baseball America podcast with John Manuel and J.J. Cooper. Um, we actually uh, we had that with oh, the strikeouts. We, we had the Reggie Jackson comp recently. But we could go on and on about Bryce Harper. I think you've all heard us talk about him a lot. I like Yonder Alonzo, J.J., and we had an, a feature in here where – uh, that addresses this, but you know, Yonder Alonzo has a decent amount of similarities. Up on Adrian the website, yes, up on the website it, it, uh,
1: today, uh, as we recorded this on Thursday.
0: Yeah, I mean, he has a – I'm not going to put Adrian Gonzalez's expectations on him, but if you tick off a checklist of Adrian Gonzalez's characteristics, left-handed hitter who likes to use the whole field, check. Yonder Alonzo does that. Uh, patient plate approach, not afraid to take pitches, not afraid to work counts, Check. I was Yonder Alonzo, had like a 60-walk year in college. I mean, he's always been a patient hitter. Um, bad body guy. Check, check. Check check in spades for both these guys. Um, failed experiment in the outfield. Let's, say, let's not say fail. Let's say awkward experiment in the outfield. Check. Um, Trade
1: cleared up the spot for them to go back to their natural spot. Correct. And they were blocked behind someone who was... Uh, one of the top first basemen. The main in really. thing
0: for me, the biggest similarity is that is the hitting ability was ahead of the raw power. And that is really what, that, that's what you have. Um, and that's, it's right there. And that's what I like about Yonder Alonso. and I, That's why I think he's going to be successful. And he's 24. He's ready to be good oh, from day one. So I, I expect it, him to be good as a rookie. I I, I don't, I, he was a little bit lower on the list than I would have had him, but it's not my list. But I, I like Yonder Alonso as a guy who, Goes right in there and is really ready to hit, but we have an interesting piece also in the front of the col- of the issue of the Major League Preview issue. I'm not sure if this has made it online yet. No, That's going up on Tuesday. The charts that uh, that Matt Eddy did about ballpark factors and these guys and um, I, you know if he has a, so aering is also had a 127 OPS plus and an 862 OPS. And his first full season as a regular in 2006. And the key thing is, is also
1: at the age of 24.
0: Yeah, I think Yonder Alonso could approximate that. I mean, it would not shock me if he had that kind is, of year. interesting. Is that
1: that both of them came up? That is. And really, uh, it, it, the the career track is is pretty similar there too.
0: The amazing thing that the the problem for him will be, and he's going to have to have this all fields approach. Worst parks for home runs by left handed hitters. One target field, which was a little bit of a shock, considering that you're building that park and you had J- John Mauer, jo- J- J- Joe Mauer, and, and Justin, Justin Morneau, and Jason Kubel, all homegrown guys, all on your roster at that time. Oops. A little tone deafness there by the by the
1: Twinkies. Not only like that, but you and you had you know like Joe Mauer is signed. Oh, he'll just be around for the next eight years.
0: Well, yeah. Obviously, he wasn't uh sign that contract yet when they uh, designed it, but yeah. Um. But, yeah, to target field, the only tougher home run park for left-handed hitters than Petco. And Petco does not make it into the bottom five for right-handed hitters. So, you know, it's going to be – he's going to have to use the entire field. But I I think that he can. I think he can be that kind of guy. And I expect big things out of Yvonne Alonso. I mean, he's a very, very good hitter. And the biggest difference to me is that Adrian Gonzalez is a better defender by a decent amount. Over Yonder Alonso, so that's a big difference. I think that Yonder Alonso will approximate Adrian Gonzalez offensively. I don't think he's ever going to be a forty home run guy, but I think he'll approximate him offensively, and he'll be a lesser player defensively. And
1: I think he's the you're the perfect fit. He, you got he the trade for him was perfect because he went from being a square peg in a round hole because he would have been probably they would have tried him at left field. And I think that would have affected his offense because right. John Alonzo is not a left fielder. Or a third baseman. Now he gets to do what he actually can do, which is play first base, hit, and in the middle of a lineup before long, I really think. And, and to me, the other guy that very similar to that, Zach Cozart, is, he's 26 already. Uh, the best way I can put it is, is Good point. if Zach Cozart is not ready, Zach Cozart will never be ready. Yeah, he'll be a career backup he, right. if he's not ready right now. But that being said, I think he's got a chance to be the uh, the NL Rookie of the Year, and the reason I say that is, is he plays shortstop, so people value that, understandably. It's he's a, on a he's, he's on a contending team. he's on a contending team, and if and the thing about it is, is he puts out he puts up especially he puts up counting numbers. I, I mean, we've gotten more sophisticated now, obviously, right. uh, you know, with the voting and all this. That being said, when a shortstop puts up I wouldn't be shocked at all to see him put up 15 homers this year. Yeah, and I think the other— that Park especially.
0: The big question for me was Zach Cozart. I don't think there's a question that he's going to be a competent regular. The question for me is, is he going to be just along for the ride with the Reds, or is he going to be an integral part to them winning a division? And I think the difference in that is, how patient is he, and can he— be a leadoff guy if they need a leadoff guy. Or
1: number, t- I think or number two. He, 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 I was going to say, I think he's going to end up hitting number two for them a lot this year. I, I,
0: and I, I don't think, I think he'd be miscast as a leadoff guy. He has shown some patience in the past, but he's also had some years where he's right. been very aggressive. I, I don't think the reality, They don't have any, they don't have any guys. They that don't are have a lead. That's right. They don't have, they, a, they don't have lead-off a leadoff hitter. And I think he's as much of a leadoff hitter as Brandon Phillips <laughs> is. I think he's much more of a leadoff hitter than Drew Stubbs is. So I think it's, that that's to me will be the difference. I think if he's just competent as a seven or eight hitter, and it's tough to be an eight-hole hitter in the National League. There, guys talk about the challenges there. You get pitched around, you know, and there the are other times when you're pitched too very aggressively. You know, it's hard for young players to get used but, to. I think he'd be capable if if he's a capable seven or eight hitter. That's one thing. But if he's good enough, or Dusty Baker put, gives him to some top, time at, at the at first the or second spot in the lineup. Then I think he really does have a chance to be a, a rookie. The interesting leader.
1: thing about that Reds lineup is you're right; they don't really have a true leadoff. They player. don't. The other interesting part of it is is that if it all comes together, though, I don't know who about seventh or eighth in that lineup.
0: Right, Their seventh or eighth. Their eight-hole hitter could be Mesoraco, who, who who could also he could be a monster in the eight-hole because a lot of eight-hole hitters see a lot of fastballs. That could be a, a beneficiary. Because for they Devin just Meseraco. don't like
1: if you look at it, if Scott Rowland stays healthy, there is not. If if you put Cozart, the thing that Cozart gives him is is that they had nothing at shortstop last year. They had a, a they very had, natural
0: eight-hole They had year.
1: very natural eight-hole hitters at shortstop last year. What they have this year, if Cozart provides more than that, then what you're talking about is, is you are going to have a lineup where you don't have an obvious out in the lineup. Who was the
0: biggest split guy between you and me? Was it Drew Pomerantz? Because I had Pomerantz shoved up my list pretty high, and I don't think you had
1: him. I I, I didn't. I think... I, I don't think pitching in cores adjustments as a rookie. I, I think it's hard. I think it's obviously it's hard to pitch in cores as a rookie. I, he's going to get opportunities. There's the, that's that's definite. But I, I just think that at the end of the year, let's say he does make thirty starts, you know, twenty-five, thirty starts. Yeah. I think it's twenty-five, thirty starts with an ERA closer to five than four.
0: I think he's. I think he's going to be a twenty-five start, four ERA type of guy. I, do, I would feel better about him if he, um, you know, he relies so heavily on his curveball. It would be really intriguing to see if he can spin a curveball at altitude. Right, because that's But a tough the place. humidor seems to have helped, helped guys do that. So, you know, Jules Racine put up a 142 ERA plus as a rookie there. and you know, he had a 360, 328 ERA, 362 last year. I think that Drew Pomerantz, Julius Racine really good. I think Drew Pomerantz can be better. I think he can go there and succeed as a, as a rookie. Um, so I, I like Drew. And, and my thing is that but I think it's a very reasonable. I think he's going to succeed.
1: I don't know if it's going to just come not as a in rookie. I, I think I was doing a little research on this, and it is notable just how many good pitchers struggle their first year, and it, a lot oh, yeah. of a, a lot, lot of, of great good, players. A do. lot of, uh, especially the starting pitchers, it can be a you know it can be a dramatic adjustment.
0: You, your example that you gave the other day about the Tom Glavin's first three seasons was very telling because he was horrible.
1: Tom Glavin <laughs> didn't post. I know he was playing on bad teams, but Tom Glavin, but hey, let's be honest, that Rockies team this year could, could be, be could be ugly. But Tom Glavin didn't post an ERA plus over 100 until his fourth season. So there was a lot of slogging there, and which is actually not that shocking when you consider in the,
0: the two years before that, they were in the 90s. He wasn't getting hammered, but he had like a year there. I guess it was actually his second year. He went 14-8, and eight, but had a terrible second half. And the next year kind of regressed a little bit, it seemed. But, I mean, then it really actually it held like, steady. Oh, what yeah, do exactly. we have here? We have a saw Young Award winner here. Um, the, the guys like Glavin, who struggled to figure it out the first couple of years and then are outstanding. The, those are – we find – well, I'm not sure how to say this because guys were flashing the pan – and are good for a year or two, and then the league adjusts. I, but that's not really what happened to Steve Avery. As I said, Tom Glavin is more typical than Steve Avery no, where you have my, instant my success. My way to put it is that – Although I guess Avery had one really bad my, year. my way
1: to put it, and this is where it's tough to evaluate as far as this – this is why we love pitching. Evaluating. I'm not shocked when you have okay. that soft-tossing lefty who comes up and has immediate success. I'm also quite skeptical a lot of times with those guys. Okay, are they going to be able to sustain it?
0: You mean it, young gun Chris Mahalek? <laughs> you you're, you're, you, you so can I, have that's an inside joke.
1: But you can have a, a lot of times
0: that first
1: five starts, you have almost a little bit of advantage because they don't have the scouting report on you yet. It's getting right. a little easier now because everything's out there now. But but it is it is true where it's those first couple of starts, you go, wow, you really put something together there. And that doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to be able to sustain it. I mean, not these are. I, I just think you know, just off the top of my head, Kirk Reeder I remember having a, a dominant. I think start. he won
0: like eight. His first eight decisions in the major leagues.
1: And Kirk Reader, we're not. Asking the question of, so which hat is he going to wear when he goes into Cooperstown?
0: <laughs> well, he's probably already in the Murray State Hall of Fame, if you want to get March back. But as a Kirk batter. Reeder,
1: yeah, 8-0, 2.73 as a rookie, uh, 7-3, and 5.17 his second year. Kirk Reeder ended up being a solid, basically, a tick below average pitcher for a good while. If
0: if Drew Pomerantz has a uh, has a career that approximates Kirk Readers, so he'll probably be, end up being pretty happy about it. 130 wins, uh, league average ERA over the course of 13 seasons. Right. I, mean, I, I, mean, I think like, we expect better out of But that, But what I'm
1: saying, though, is, is that Kirk Reader, really Kirk Reader was his best as a rookie.
0: Kirk Reader is the ultimate, to me, like we should compare guys to Kirk Reader instead of to... Tom Glavin. We got all the Tom Glavin comps in the world. Kirk Reader is like a good poor man, a good version that's of a a poor man. That's a different
1: man's. poor man. So we, have, we can put the Jeff Soupon comps away from Greg Maddox. We have the Jeff
0: Soupon Greg Maddox comps. Yes, he is And we got the Kirk Reader, Tom, to Tom Glavin. Tom Glavin, comp. Glavin as Jeff Soupon is to Greg Maddox. That, that's, I'm throwing that out there. I'm going to use that from now on. Uh, the other rookie to me, JJ, in our top 20, who was really divisive well, there were a couple, but Jacob Turner was really divisive. I was surprised that Jacob Turner got less support. Um, I think it's, he has an obvious road to a fifth, to the fifth starter role in Detroit. I don't think he has a ton of competition. I think he has a low bar, and I think it's very possible that he could go out there and have a full ERA and win 10, 11, 12 games and be uh, you know a very capable fifth starter for the Detroit Tigers this year.
1: Well, the good thing he's going to have for him is, is that he's going to be on a team that's going to score him a lot of runs. Yeah, no doubt. That being said, I I guess I I would say that I think why there was some resistance, part of it, he can blame on Rick Porcello. Right. Because there's been so many comps of him. He he has a very similar approach. If you are taking the Jacob Turner scouting report right now and comparing it to the Rick Porcello scouting report, rewind it, I guess, three years. There's a lot of similarities. I think he's
0: more of a curveball guy than a slider guy, if memory serves, but... Um, Porcello was supposed to have a big-time curveball in high school as well. I mean, the breaking ball was supposed to be more of a swing-and-miss pitch for Rick Porcello. It's turned into more of a ground ball pitch as a professional.
1: Right, and that's the thing. Turner's, you know, we, what we've seen as he's climbed the ladder is is it's become a little bit more. He, he's been a weak contact guy, which... We'll see, and then when he got to the
0: big—it's big, eight, you know—it's basically eight strikeouts per nine innings. I mean, it's seven point seven for him, you know, over 246 innings pitched. I think that's a little too faint of to praise, but he hasn't dominated. And when he went he's to the big leagues, he good. got dominated. Yeah, but he was 20 years yeah. old. No, yeah, no, no, no. No, no. no
1: that—that's my thing is is that it was three starts, and he was 20 years old. I don't know if this year, I don't know necessarily if we know that he's. That there's this massive learning that came from those three starts, where you say, "Okay, this year he's ready to make a a a big leap. He's going to be 21. A lot. It's hard. It's hard to pitch in the big leagues at 21.
0: It is. Uh, You know, to me, he again, he doesn't have a ton of competition for that role either. Oh, I think he's going to have opportunity. Yeah.
1: I just don't know the reason I was kind of
0: 40 prospect in our top 100. So opportunity plus top forty prospect to me, many automatically had to See, be and honest. this is where
1: we 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 had we had this discussion yeah. on other guys too. Twenty-one year old pitchers generally, if you said twenty-one year old hitter, I'm much more likely. No matter how high we rank them, I expect a lot of these pitchers to struggle their first year, and then get better and better. Right, which and is if we
0: disagreed on Mike Montgomery. Right, not because I those. don't because
1: I. I am I am the Mike Montgomery, you know, if I'm not the president of the fan club, I, I'm at least well, you uh, definitely, I'm on the board
0: you, if I, I think I was president in 2009 and tw- in 2010 And so I you, just took you, over you took, it, you took that mantle when you saw him in uh, in, in in Kinston and you've run with it so, I, And it doesn't mean that I don't like Mike Montgomery No, you like
1: him a lot too, I think
0: But. I like him a lot I had him in my top 20 rookies I had him at 16 My contention is, uh, we're, we thought we were going to re- recreate this for last week's podcast Now we're going to do it for this one my contention is, if you feel strongly enough as you did to rank him as a number one prospect in a Royals organization that had two other potential players numbers. who would be legitimate number one candidates in Bubba Starling and will Myers, then it must it must follow for me that he's in your top twenty rookies because otherwise i don't and, and i don 't see how he's your number one if you don't think he's ready for big league success right off the bat' Cause i don 't think it's true that his ceiling is as high or even comparable to those guys. I don't think he's a number one, future number one. He might be a number two starter if it all comes together. He might be more legitimately a third starter. And to me, Will Myers see, is a prototype corner right fielder, and Bubba Starling is like a prototype five-tool, like a better version of Adam Jones, or like a prototype five-tool center fielder. So to me, if you didn't believe that Montgomery see, I, was polished enough to be a rookie. If I think he's going to be number two, which I do. Right.
1: I would argue that a number two, like compare a number two to a – if he was a number two and Will Myers is a prototype right fielder, I want the number two.
0: I, I got you. I well, Especially that. lefty number two. I, I actually think it's pretty hard to find prototype right fielders. Oh, I'm not disagreeing I mean, with
1: you, but I think it's also even harder to find.
0: Right, but Will Myers I, – I th- I'm thinking prototype is like a 30-home run guy. I think Will Myers has that kind of offensive upside. He was number 10 in baseball all of last year. Maybe I'm giving him too much – entering last year, maybe I'm giving him too much of a mulligan – but he had what was it—a staff infection, and a learning a new position, and a 20-year-old in Double A. If that doesn't get you a mulligan, I don't know what well, does. I mean, he does. He does. That he, gets he, me a bigger mulligan than struggling in Triple A and the PCL. When you know you're out of school for three years now, and, yeah. so I was with you. I like Mike Montgomery. I and I buy we, and I buy him to be your number one
1: where guy. Where we disagree, and we've we've had discussions in the office. Where we disagree yeah. is is that I. When we're talking about a top twenty rookies list, right. My top twenty rookies list.
0: You're like could, you are the pitchers, as Matt Meyer, Matt Eddie is the catchers. Matt thinks there's no way a catcher should ever make a rookie top twenty my, list. My my top twenty rookies list has a has
1: a more relievers than most guys do on it because when we get down at the end of the year, and we had this discussion in that meeting, right? And there are people who said, you know, I'm not saying he's not going to have a good year, but this is our preseason list. I'm going to go with the guys with the higher upside and all that. But when we get done at the end of the year, we have all, we've we've had a whole lot of guys who at least are in the argument for rookie of the year at the end of the year, the Brad Ziegler's. Right,
0: right. You know. Uh, By the way, Mike Montgomery's strikeouts per nine is seven point nine. It's not so much higher than uh, than Jacob Turner, Mister Mister, not dominating true. enough weak contact guy. That is true. So. Sorry, I got a little. Uh, got Someone a little David forgot Bowie to turn going. their. Uh, yeah. I did forget to turn my cell phone off, but at least we're not on the air; we're just on the podcast. So. But
1: but no, but my point is just that I expect my expectation. Uh, actually, it's going long enough. You got to turn it off now, because it's going long enough. We we might have to pay royalties on that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> come on. <laughs> but uh, um, David Bowie's a relaxed kind of guy. But so
1: my thing is is that my expectation for Mike Montgomery is this: this is the year that he takes the step. To making it to the big leagues, and essentially, but I wouldn't be shocked at all if he had a half season in the big leagues, much like Danny Duffy had last year. And
0: see, I I've thought about that too. He's better than Danny Duffy. If he's the number one guy, if he's the number two, he's better that, than Danny Duffy. But he's not better than... Is he again, not more prepared He's not to be better, But he's not really better than, than Danny Duffy? He's Danny not better Duffy.
1: than Greg Maddox, who had a five and a half ERA as a rookie. I
0: follow you there. I'm not comparing him to those guys. No, I'm but, comparing but my, him to Danny Duffy. And oh, Danny think, Duffy's from Lompoc, as I like to talk about. This guy's from Hard High School in South Central, not South, Southern California. Danny Duffy was the big fish in a small pond. This guy was the number two starter on his high school team because of Trevor Bauer. D- Danny Duffy was rushed through but, with a horrible Royals team and uh, an organization that was building talent, but he was at the front end of that wave. M- Montgomery's right in the meat of that. Got a full year of AAA, not as rushed as Duffy. To me, he's better prepared, more athletic, more talented. No, I think he's he's should better be than, better than Danny Duffy. I, I
1: expect him to be better than Duffy, but where we disagree is is that I think, again, maybe I'm going too far on this, but it's not that there can't be pitchers who succeed as rookies, because obviously there can't, and there are a number of them. Right. But the, there are, if you look at a list of the best pitchers in baseball, there are a whole lot of them who struggle that first, that second year. I mean, obviously Roy Howdy the I, best I pitcher in baseball. I don't with you. I don't with And disagree so my argument that. Is, is that that doesn't, to me – they're they're the two are. If you said who's going to have the best rookie year, my list is going to have a whole lot of position players and a whole lot of relief pitchers. Right. I just think you're and the, and some the like,
0: I think you're sending some conflicting signals when you have. If you had any starting pitchers on here at all, who besides but, but, Darvish and Moore is none of the other guys? Uh, Tehran had a full year in AAA. Jared Parker's. Older, but has already had Tommy John surgery. I don't even think he had a full but year. The, but a. the other
1: thing with that is, is that, and we talked about this also. The other reason, if if Mike Montgomery, which, which if Mike Montgomery, if Mike Montgomery was an A, I'd have him on my list. You don't and
0: think he has opportunity
1: in Kansas City? Not, no. I don't think he's going to. I think that the most he'll probably make is 15 starts this year.
0: Okay. I Whereas I think that Jared I,
1: Parker, if he's healthy, is going to make 25 to 30.
0: I, we we really are talking past each other on this yeah. because I really feel like if you've had him as the number one prospect, he, he's. Going to push his way past all that. I mean, to me, that's what being a number one prospect does. That's all. I I I think I'm agreeing with your argument more on the rookie side than I am on the number one prospect side now. Whereas before, I was agreeing with you more on the number one prospect side because I believed I liked the conviction, but I think the conviction has to carry over. To me, they're actually kind of incompatible. To me, I do not have. Again, I believe
1: in, if you're talking about the next six to eight years of Mike Montgomery, right, I am a staunch believer. Right. If you're talking about the beginning of the 2012 season, there is nothing I have right now. There is no we're evidence. We're
0: not talking about April. We're talking about no, we're six talking months. We're talking about April
1: and May and June, too, though. And yeah. if you have, I have nothing. I have no evidence right now that says, for one, the Royals contending, I still believe, is at least a year away. Right. If that's the case, there's no reason to bring them up early. For two, there are things. I, he's, is, I hear the, the
0: interrupt. I'll interrupt you there. The reason to bring them up as early as the rest of their pitchers stink. <laughs> but <laughs> they, no, they but, do. but here's the thing: from They're a from to. a cost
1: standpoint, like if you again, like with Bryce Harper, you don't need him to make those starts. If you give those starts to Felipe Paulino in April, and you see, okay, can he follow up what he did last year? That's more valuable to the Royals while keeping. Montgomery for starting his clock, and there are legitimate things that Montgomery has to work on. Montgomery needs to have a better breaking ball. Montgomery needs to improve his command. So there's reasons to say we're going to take it slow with you.
0: I, again, I'm agreeing with all those things, but to me, a number one prospect pushes through some of those issues that you've all the issues that you've mentioned. Unless he's the number one in a bad system, and he's not. He's number one in a good system, so okay. for me, well, they're incompatible. We got some
1: questions, so let's get to the questions so that we – Yeah, we
0: did. We, we, but we, but, uh, we actually – I did not think we'd be able to recreate <laughs> the, the – the, the, the passion. The, yeah. Uh, we both feel strongly about Mike Montgomery. The thing – I like him. I do like him. I actually – like I said, I had him We both. My yeah, doctorate. We both like him. Um, Douglas Cutler asks uh, – and it's a, I, I won't even give you his handle. You can go on the Baseball America on our feed. Uh, any worry about Lucas Giolito long-term following his injury and how likely is it that he heads to UCLA now? Um, the news, uh, our Nathan Rohde was, uh, helped break this news. Uh, uh, Eric Sondheimer, of course, the LA Times also broke that news kind I think, concurrently with Nathan. Um, and that Lucas Giolito, who's the number one player on our high school top 100 prospects list, I think we had him. Number three on our combined prospect list. I think yeah, Buxton was two, and
1: he was. No, he was
0: uh, no, he was ahead of Buxton because we switched. Yeah, then who was it? It was Devin Marrero was two, and Mark Appel was one, if if memory serves. Uh, I could be wrong. We might have had him at two. I guess I could always look that up at BaseballAmerica.com. But Lucas Giolito came out of the start earlier this week. We're recording this on Thursday. Uh, He came out on the Tuesday start, and was uh, he is number two after Mark Appel. Well, he now he's not going to be number three, two yeah. anymore because uh, Lucas Giolito uh, came out with a sprained right ulnar collateral ligament in his elbow. A sprained, is basically means a small tear. So this is a pretty significant injury. He's going to be out a minimum of six weeks. More likely that it's going to be kind of in that six to ten week. I've also talked to somebody who thought it was an eight to twelve week injury. Well, the draft is about 13 weeks away, JJ, so... It's a very good chance that Lucas Gilito will miss the the rest of the high school season. We won't get to see him pitch here in the National High School Invitational Tournament that USA Baseball and Baseball America I think we would all
1: already been planning on basically a a caravan. I think Nathan
0: was crushed that he was that way. I mean, he was personally, took it personal, you know. He was crushed that Lucas Gilito was hurt. But our own Connor Glassy has already written an analytical piece about what teams could still take Giolito, what this is going to do for his draft. I mean, it's early to know, but JJ, it's, he's not number two on the board anymore. Well,
1: I saw I saw some people write yesterday, not for us but other places, saying, "Hey, the closest parallel to this is Kyle Gibson and of recent years." And I got to disagree with that because I do those too. are Kyle Gibson's injury. In this, they do not match because Kyle Gibson. Uh, I'll let you – I'll defer to you on the exact details because you both do our twins and you're, you know, more on the college side than us. To Eight weeks
0: before the draft? I don't even think – I think it was more – it was like in May. It was like in late May. I thought it was the Big 12 tournament, actually. And it was a stress fracture. I think that what they called it at first was a, like stress, a stress reaction. reaction. Yeah, right. Something like that.
1: But but the big difference being – to me, the biggest difference being you're talking about a college junior versus a high school senior. Which makes a dramatic difference to it me makes because a huge in Kyle Gibson's case, if you draft him, you spend, you can, if you want to, you can spend the summer evaluating, and you know that if you are confident in his health and you give him a reasonable deal, he's going to go, likely, because yeah. he doesn't have the leverage. If he doesn't, he's going to go back to school, be a senior. And his leverage largely goes out the window.
0: Yeah, so Kyle Gibson's injury, actually, we reported it on June 6th, 2009. So it was even later than I thought. He pitched on May 30th against Monmouth and Regionals. His fastball was 83 to 86, despite the fact that he threw eight scoreless innings. So, so,
1: but that's, a, that's dramatically different. Yes. Than, to, to me, the parallel for this, the one that jumps out the most is, is and we immediately both thought of it, yeah. Nick Aidenhardt. Yeah, because uh, first Nick- it's high school to high school. Which does make a big difference because when Nick Haydenhart had the injury, pretty much at that time, I, I think the general reaction we had around our office was, "Well, we'll be seeing him pitching in Chapel Hill next year."
0: That's exactly what we all thought. Um, of course, he, we don't, we didn't know that he was going to wind up decommitting from North Carolina. Would have wound up either going maybe to Arizona State or to South Carolina. Um, right. And all of a sudden, that commitment
1: became a lot more important. It wasn't just a put something down because that's I'm right. Go pro.
0: Well, I think he was really. I think. Well, actually, what happened was that. He was very close with Trent Klein, who was a catcher at North Carolina as a freshman. But after an injury-plagued <clears throat> excuse me, injury-plagued freshman season in North Carolina, Trent Klein wound up transferring to a junior college in Florida, and that was a big part of Nick Aidenhart's com- commitment in North Carolina. Was his friendship with Trent Klein, and he played on travel teams. I'm- you know, uh, we're speaking for, for uh, the late Nick Aidenhart now. So I'm, A tra- um, tragic, a true r- tragic. Absolutely. A tra- His story is a tragic story in a lot of ways, an inspirational story in some ways, too. And he came back from the Tommy John surgery and made so the major then, leagues. But the point is, he got hurt early in the high school season. And Nick Aidenhart, at that now time, he was, he was the, the not, number one guy on the He was not on the, the, high the high prospect
1: of Luke, that was. He wasn't Correct. touching 100. Correct. That being said, he was the consensus number one pitching prospect, high school pitching prospect, in that draft.
0: He absolutely was. And he wound up being drafted in the 14th round and signing late for $710,000. And it's going to take, I think, more money to pull Lucas Giolito away from UCLA. Precisely because, like we are just talking about with Aiden Hart, I don't think he his commitment to North Carolina was had changed. And he wanted to play pro ball. He wound up being a bargain for the Angels. And that they got a major leaguer out of him. And then, obviously, like you said, his career and his life tragically uh, cut short by a completely mindless me, drunk driver. Trust me
1: when you say that we, in our office that we all remember exactly where we were when we heard that news. That was a shocking day. That was opening day, opening too. Day. And shocking we were, opening I was day. at a
0: Charlotte Knights you game saw, against the Gwinnett. It was a, pitch, no, or? it was Tommy Hanson and Chris Medlin, yeah. and, which was awesome because Chris Medlin and Tommy Hansen were both tremendous that day, and they're both neat guys, enjoyed interviewing them. But it was a pall over that whole day with the Nick Aiden Hart news. Hor- it was a horrible day. Uh, as far as that goes, it really put a damper on opening day. And you just can't imagine uh, that organization. You, know, you look at their farm system and those kind of things, uh, you know, the, the players who played with them, you just can't imagine. what. It, I don't know how you go through a whole season with that. And the Angels obviously making the playoffs that year was a pretty inspirational story. We digress. Uh, Nick Aidenhart is a a parallel to Giolito than it happened earlier in the year. Uh, I think that Giolito's commitment to UCLA is pretty strong. His family, uh, we're going to ride this feature coming up. Both his parents have acted. I don't think that he, I don't think he's going to sign for $710,000, J.J. And
1: the thing that Connor's story today points out, there are ways. Now, the thing you will not see happen, almost assuredly, you don't want to say, you don't want to give absolutely any of this. In Aiden Hart's case, what the old system allowed you to do, he keeps slipping, he keeps slipping, you take him in the 14th round. Right. And then... If you take him in the 14th round and he doesn't sign for the money that you were looking to, you know, give him, you just shrug your shoulders and go, okay, well, that was worth the risk. Exactly. It was a 14th round pick. Right. That's probably not what's going to happen with Giolito because, for one thing, you're going to have to do it in the top 10 rounds, right. Unless you just say, well, we're just going to take the penalty.
0: Yeah, exactly. If he
1: doesn't, if he's not drafted by round 10, the chances of Giolito signing are fall to infinitesimally small levels.
0: I agree. I agree, and I think he's going to if be a But if you take him,
1: especially what Connor spelled out, if you've got two first-round picks, the key thing it's going to come down to, and part of this, the thing we keep hearing about the new CBA and the new draft rules and all, more than anything is is that with the area scouts, and this is not cross-checkers. This is not the GM coming in taking a Right. Lead. This is on area scouts. The area scouts are going to have to know pretty well what your number is. Yep. And Giolito is going to be more than anything because if you know, hey, if healthy, we can get him at, let's say it's four mil. You could. There are teams out there who can make that work in their draft. Right. But you have to essentially build your draft around the idea that you're taking him.
0: And a $4 million bonus is a reasonable number to throw out there because that's what Dylan Bundy got for signing bonus last year. But the difference is... Dylan Bundy got that as part of a major league contract and those are now precluded mm-hmm. under the new CBA so but you're expecting I think it's a great question
1: if you're expecting him to get six or so before four is closer than after that number and obviously we're not you know we're not in part of the League family you have to figure right. these, each each player has to figure these things out but then you're it's still in that number where you're saying okay well I know that the number I could get the maximum number Right. in a couple of years it's going to be like 7.5. Right. Is it worth that risk when I've got this much money coming now?
0: And the other the other part of that is we don't know how serious the injury is in 6 to 8 weeks when he starts throwing again uh or 10 weeks whatever it is. He may, decide, he may not have healed enough, and this it may, might be Tommy Johnson. Right. This they may not preclude
1: know. Tommy. I mean, this, there's no way you can say right now, No, anyone can say, well, he doesn't have to have Tommy John. We and know then, that he doesn't need Tommy John yet.
0: And then you kind of have the decision, like a guy like Dylan Covey had or mm. like Nick Aidenhardt had. Do you want to do that rehab at the amateur level in college, or do you want to do that am- that rehabilitation at the professional level? And I can't answer that question for you. I think Lucas Giolito is going to have to answer that question. So it's a fascinating storyline to watch as the, as the draft year unfolds. Uh, JJ, we have one other question and then we could probably wrap up uh, from Whoa doctor. That's uh, a good, uh, to Ernie Harwell in the, uh, in the avatar. And it's, uh, also, uh, obviously his phrase, Padres are moving Kelly, Casey Kelly to the left side of the rubber and speeding up his tempo. Good, bad, inconsequential. I love the speeding up the tempo part. I mean, Uh, I guess we both grew up watching the Braves, so I just remember when they did that with Larry McWilliams. Six sticks out in my head. For some reason, uh, they sped up Larry McWilliams, and it was his big year in 1982 was due in part to his increased tempo. Lucas Giolito, some of his improvement this spring with his velocity jump, was due in part to improving his tempo, actually. It's it's funny. Every
1: now and then, you hear that a lot more than every now and then, we had to slow down his tempo.
0: That's right. You don't hear
1: that nearly as much. Every now and then, like, this guy just... Hair on fire. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, I think... Uh, improving Casey Kelly's tempo probably helps. He sounds like a uh, you want his athleticism to take over. The side of the rubber really does affect this. This was an issue with Matt Moore, Moore. JJ. We talked about it last year with Matt Moore, allowing him to pitch more to his glove side and get his fastball inside the right-handed hitters with the the adjustments he made on the rubber. The
1: good batter inconsequential. here's the answer I can give on that, which is the cop-out. But it's good because they realize that something – we need to be tweaking some things. That's right.
0: That's what we're doing,
1: the stuff is not adding up to the results that we expected. So let's analyze this and try to figure out what can be done to improve that.
0: I will direct you, uh, Mr. Woe Doctor, to, uh, if you go to under the college drop-down, my column is under the college drop-down. It just says, it's the last column on the drop-down it says John Manuel. Um, and then you have, uh, with pitchers, tiny tweaks can make a big difference. That was a whole column I wrote about standing on the rubber because uh, I'm interested in that. And So, yeah, like uh, JJ talked about earlier in the podcast, pretty much anything pitching, we're, we're, we'll, we'll report on it and we'll try to get into why would you do that kind of thing. And, wow, that's really interesting usually, you know. So uh, we definitely like talking about that kind of stuff.
1: So, yeah, I think I, – I do think, obviously, we'll, we'll see the results. You know, uh, six months from now, we'll have an answer to that question because – Sometimes you make a tweak like this and it doesn't make a difference. Right. Sometimes you find a pitcher finds I'm not comfortable over there. Right. But sometimes it can be the thing. Again, the Matt Moore. Oh, I'm going to move. You know, I'm going to change my the break of my hands a little bit and how I bring my hands up. Right. And all of a sudden everything comes together. That's where pitching's fascinating. That's where pitching. It's so hard. Like when you're talking about ranking prospects and all, with pitchers with the hitter. Not that there can't be improvements. Not that you can't have a guy who makes a mechanical adjustment and finds that all of a sudden he's not vulnerable to the inside fastball or things right. like that. But hitting's is a much more gradual. Generally, a guy either has hand-eye. Like, you have the hand-eye or you don't. Right. And I mean, then you, you make adjustments the, from You there.
0: have the rhythm or you don't. You know. Right. But with
1: pitchers, it can be, this guy's not any good. This guy's really struggling. This guy doesn't have a chance. Oh, I found something. Oh, and uh, tomorrow it's all better.
0: I mean, the... the so or the other way around. That's right. There's so many different pitches you can throw, so many different mechanics that people do. There's different arm slots where the hitter basically, unless you. There, there was one Craig Council. There really weren't very many other guys that had crazy stances like that. You have different stances. But the funny
1: thing about that is, is, and I would argue that it does seem like we have less crazy stances. And
0: I, we do. Isn't that weird? I just was about to say, at least like in the 80s, you had like the Lao school. And then you had completely different stand. you had, like, Larry Parrish. Then you have Brian
1: Downing, who to Not Larry
0: Parrish, Lance Parrish, who was, like, super stand-up straight. Brian Downing, like you said, he was, like, super open. You had George Hendrick, who was super cool. Julio close. Franco,
1: who basically, like, I will point the bat at you. I will point it at you.
0: Where's batting stance guy when we need him?
1: We I need mean, to have him on the show. But, but, yeah, and now you don't see that many. You don't see that many stances where you go, wow, that's just different.
0: Now that Craig Council has retired, who has the craziest stance in the major leagues?
1: That's a great question. I can't. Rely. No, I no, no out one's on coming. Pod. No it's one's cool. coming out. Yeah. You, you, if you have an answer for that, tweet us at, uh, at @BaseballAmerica at John BA or at JJCoop36, or comment Warner. on our Facebook page. I'll throw it on our Facebook page when we're done with this podcast.
0: Juan Uribe has kind of a unique stance. But there's no more Jeff Bagwell, you know, the bear squatting right. in the woods. Put, the
1: best way I can put it is, is there's all these guys who immediately when you say it, you picture it in your head.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like, Chipper, like Chipper has, I would say, a distinctive. Distinctive, but it's not something. It's not totally unique, but it is distinctive.
1: Right, but it's also, it's kind of, uh, if you're a hitting coach, you'd say, okay, I'd teach that.
0: Yeah, it's oft copied. That's what sticks out in my head. is that. Whereas, it's... like,
1: if no one's saying, seeing Brian Downing stance and going, yeah, I'd teach that.
0: I think that this is that's a whole that's a, probably actually a story. There's probably a story in the yeah, batting because stance because actually I think I have talked about this with a scouting director it's starting to come back to me now that because it, the hitters are more homogenous these days because of the preponderance of private hitting clinics and they're not and the teach fact you that, oh, you're I, don't
1: no one's figuring it out on their own as much.
0: That's it because there's less pickup Baseball, basically, there's less there's, so much less sandlot There's baseball. less something
1: where you're saying, "I'm just oh, going to try worked. something crazy." Oh, it works for me.
0: Well, you don't even think it's crazy; it's just natural. It just comes natural to you, and you aren't looking in a mirror. Hank and Aaron. you're, and you're Hank also, Aaron's not going to right. bat backwards. Exactly. And you're also not seeing it in video. I bet you there are hitting coaches who take their twelve, who take twelve-year-olds, and you know, break them down on video for a price, and that's that's where the game has gone. So. Um, I, mean, that's, I think we may have actually an answered our own question, but it might be worth a comment. It's column. worth a story, I like. think it's worth a little more investigation. We hope this was worth your hour here on the Baseball America podcast. It was for us. We have a lot of fun doing these. We thank you for the download. And uh, yeah, if you have questions, again, you can e- send those into to us either via email, podcast at baseballamerica.com or at baseballamerica at jjcoop36 at johnmanualBA on Twitter. For J.J. Cooper, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next week on the Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.